Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It is a true pleasure to welcome a colleague and a friend, Rabbi Shaul Robinson, who is the senior rabbi at the famous Lincoln Square Synagogue in New York. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the shul, I don't know where you've been living because Lincoln Square is the source of so many fascinating things that have helped transform orthodoxy in America today. Rabbi Robinson uh, comes to us from originally Glasgow, Scotland, which for those of us from Chicago is somewhere over there, but it gives him both the opportunity of having a great experience outside just the American rabbinate. And Rabbi Robinson, thank you for joining me today. A pleasure, my extreme pleasure. So let me start with a simple thing. How does a nice Jewish boy from Glasgow, Scotland end up in New York? Well, you know, Hashem is mechim uh, and gaver, uh, and he takes us uh, where he uh, where he chooses. The truth is that I am a uh, I am a product both of the uh, investments in the institutional Jewish life, what you call here Hillel, called different things in the UK, and the Kirov movement or Samech, Torah, and other organizations that gradually led an increasing Jewish affiliation at university to a. Uh, uh, a uh, interest in Judaism, which sent me to yeshiva, which brought me to Efrat, and brought me into the, uh, say, the circle of, uh, of Rabbi Riskin and others. And after my rabbinic career had been uh, well underway and doing actually quite nice in the UK, the uh, lifetime opportunity came, once in a lifetime opportunity came to uh, take over the pulpit at Lincoln Square, uh, which I have to say did not come through Rabbi Riskin, came through the, uh, came through the shul of uh, Lincoln Square. And, uh, and we've been here 15 and a half years. Wow. And just a quick comparison, you were in the Barnett Synagogue in, in um, right. England. Yeah. How does, how does the rabbi of a, a UK synagogue, how does it compare to the life of a rabbi of an American synagogue? No, it's very, very interesting. It's a great question. It's something I actually haven't thought about for a few years because, as I say, we've been here now for a decade and a half. But I used to think about that and get asked that a lot at the beginning. And the real answer to the question is, is that people are people wherever wherever you go. And the rabbinate is the rabbinate. And uh, despite the the differences, differences in culture, differences in observance, most of the united cities today of the kind that I was a rabbi of and uh, your former assistant rabbi, Dov Lerner, I grew up under the same... Uh, system, uh, large crowds of three times a year Jews, but uh, otherwise uh, well behaved in the sense that they did not put a burden on the rabbi or the synagogue for much of the rest of the year. But nonetheless, what people look for a rabbi, I think, is uh, as well as, of course, learning is uh, is compassion and availability and uh, the willingness to be a, a guide and a friend and a mentor and to take an interest. And those are things that whether or not you come from the, uh, those are things which uh, Hasidic Rebbe's uh, do to re lead their flocks and uh, the rest of us rabbis, whatever segment we find ourselves in, uh, those are the skills that we have to bring to our communities. But the difference between the, the Balabatim are significant. I remember my, when, my time in England, when I was visiting in England and teaching for a very brief period of time, I was taken by the fact that the British Jewry seemed very much like American orthodoxy of the 1960s, of the people who were affiliated with the Orthodox movement. Sometimes modern Orthodox meant not that Orthodox. Correct, 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 absolutely. And, and yes, and that was really, 
you know, that was really the challenge of having a community. And that was the reason ultimately that we chose to come to America, the education for our children, but professional uh, challenge for myself as well. It's very easy to be a rabbi. It's relatively easy, but it's uh, somewhat limiting to be rabbi in a community where few people ask questions and few people uh, are able to appreciate the difference between a uh, thoroughly thought out and uh, indeed original drasha or shiur and something, you know, uh, recycled or much more kind of rudimentary. That's not to say that uh, we in the rabbinate, and one of the accusations of modern orthodoxy um, is that, you know, we, uh, we preach to the, uh, to the top. It's an elitist movement that's more interested in, 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 in kind of very narrow set of intellectual concerns rather than the entire bandwidth of the spiritual and emotional experience of Judaism. But yes, you're 100% correct. There are different challenges there as well. And on many levels, it's fulfilling to be the rabbi of a community where people are either pushing back with questions or are, are able and willing and ready to challenge the rabbi on substance. And, to, uh, and that, that, that's challenging and uh, exhausting at the same time as you know all too well. Well, no, you have some very, very prominent lay leaders within your shul today. It, but being the rabbi in Manhattan, really in, in a central place in Manhattan must be very different. I know, you know, I'm in a Jewish neighborhood. So in a Jewish neighborhood, we, we all, we're all hanging out together. You know, it's a residential neighborhood. You're in the middle of the hustle and bustle of Manhattan. Does well, that Manhattan right now is not so much hustle and bustle, <laughs> maybe a hustle, but less bustle these days. Um, but yes, in normal times, correct, correct. And the, uh, I remember years and years ago, actually the British rabbinate did a, brought a trip, a group of rabbis actually May 2001, uh, we brought a group of rabbis to uh, tour America. Uh, we used to go to Israel all the time. And uh, I think I was one of the pe first people to make the suggestion. I pointed out that in fact, as far as uh, rabbinic training is concerned, it would be much more relevant to go learn from our American colleagues than it would be to go and, you know, another trip to Israel, although how much we would all love to visit Israel right now. And um, we were actually taken to Lincoln Square Synagogue, uh, the old building, it still stood. Uh, we moved into the new building eight years ago. And I remember seeing a, uh, a family of, uh, it was clearly a, a housekeeper or a nanny of some kind, shepherding two little boys wearing yarmulkes uh, in the middle of 72nd Street of Broadway, you know, impossibly busy urban scene in a hot, warm day in May. And I thought to myself, people live here, people raise families in the middle of, you know, which in the UK is not so much of a thing. People tend not to live in downtown, you don't raise families in, in downtown neighborhoods. And uh, I was stunned. Um, and, um, you know, I eventually became the rabbi of those boys. They're now <laughs> college, college graduates. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of differences between being a rabbi in Manhattan. But again, here as well, we have, we have community. We have surprisingly resilient community, even though we live in apartment buildings and even though we live in a busy city surrounded by many, many, uh, many, many non-Jews. And, uh, you know, city living during the pandemic has been a challenge, of course, apartments, small spaces, but it's also proven to have many have had, people have been able to rely on each other to extraordinary extent by the fact that you have neighbors in your apartment building on your floor who are ready to knock on a door to look in, to drop groceries, etc. So a community, even in the pandemic, even in the middle of New York City, has proven itself to be not only strong, but vital. And, and New York today, it's, it sounds like from the national news that things are doing better. Um, I 
never really understand the battles between your mayor and your governor, but those always look like an interesting ping pong match. Who can blame whom faster? But it is better, I understand, and people are getting the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, actually, we have an extraordinary, I don't know what how things are in Chicago and Illinois, but we actually have an extraordinary effort um, the, of, of, um, uh, of some young volunteers who are helping people make vaccine appointments. The question is, uh, and, it, and, it's, and it's all the shuls actually, <coughs> by Levine at the Jewish Center, I think it was the first to uh, really get ahead, ahead of this and uh, all the shuls are following suit, but we're working very, very hard on making appointments because the system of getting vaccine appointments is very, very confusing here. I don't know what it's like in the new, my mother just got her first dose of the vaccine in Scotland on Friday. You wait until you get a letter or you get a phone call from your own uh, doctor's office and they tell you when to come in. Israel, we know they have the four systems, the Maccabi, et cetera. Here in America, you can have this, in New York, you can have New York State, New York City, any number of private hospital systems, Mount Sinai, Columbia, they all run their own registration system. So it's super confusing. And But we have been able to help people um, you can now get a vaccine if you're over 65 in New York, and we've been able to help many, many people in the shul uh, get vaccines, which is very encouraging. Here, here in, in, in Illinois, so I was speaking <coughs> to someone this morning, and they said the way to do it is to go online precisely at midnight, because at the midnight every day, yeah. the new, the new um, appointments open up, and then you have to have the mazel knowing that everybody else knows it's at midnight, so everybody who's watching this, it's between us. Right. And then pick the right Walgreens or ASCO right. or pharmacy, which is giving it, and be lucky enough to find the open appointment. But hopefully, you know, within the next few weeks, both the supply will pick up and the uh, and the systems will become clear, and you know, more and more people will be able to get. And so, in Manhattan, where you're at, you have young families, you have families with teenagers, you have all the ages. Correct. Although uh, the shul always had, uh, and when we opened our new building eight years ago, we had, thank God, a great regeneration of the shul. We have the, uh, you know, many of the, uh, look, many of the people who have spent time at Lincoln Square Synagogue in the heyday of Rabbi Riskin, Rabbi Berman, etc., in the 70s and 80s, etc. Many of the young singles who were there then, who, you know, happen to still be older singles today, are a very solid and very important bedrock of our community. And we have many, many single family unit, single member units of our community. Um, we have many of the families who did not move out of Manhattan um, for whatever reason when um, many of their peers did. We have a very fast circulating membership of members of families. So we have an older membership base of, uh, say, baby boomers now. And then what happened when we opened the new building was we had a massive explosion, a huge influx of young couples that became young families over the last eight years. Many that that community has a high turnover rate because they tend to raise their families in the city for a couple of years, walking to work or a short commute, etc. And then when the second or third child comes along, they move to the suburbs. That process, of course, accelerated tremendously over the course of the last year. We lost many families to the suburbs, most of whom would have moved this year or next year some of whom were not sure they would ever leave the city, but did. And the big question right now, and I'll be perfectly frank, we stand at an inflection point. Manhattan will either go back to being normal and things will right themselves already. We have new, we know for sure of new young couples who have moved into the neighborhood, haven't yet been to shul, but have expressed an interest in coming to shul. Um, it'll either improve or with between the governor, the mayor, 
and our uh, our mayor, bless him, um, to his credit, I will say something. I've been on, if you're on Facebook, I don't really talk about politics too much. Uh, talk too much, but not so much. But I've been extremely critical of Mayor de Blasio for many, many, many things. He spoke at Lincoln Square City Hall twice. Been very critical of certain things. To his credit, he tried and largely succeeded in opening public schools, which I know in Chicago and uh, has been a much more contentious uh, thing. So I actually give him credit for that. But apart from that, he's a disaster. Homelessness in our neighborhood, all sorts of social problems. The city has gone back to, uh, look, I didn't live here in the 70s or 80s or 90s, but it is, uh, it's definitely taken some giant steps backwards. And the question is what happens next? If New York returns, we'll be fine. If New York declines, well, we might be fine because it'll be a cheaper place to live. It'll be a little more grungy, but people will, you know, will be able to afford to stay in the city or there'll be really a flight of uh, prosperous people from the city. Wall Street will leave, go to Miami and prosperous people will leave. And in any case, who knows? I'm just being perfectly frank. Right. Simply do not know uh, between now and Biat Hamashiach what the next few years are going to look like in New York City. And then you're speaking New York City in general, not just your shul. Oh, of course, of course, of course, of course. And we did rather well during that in, in the course of the pandemic, we certainly lost some members, not as many as we feared. Um, and we have been able to, we reopened our shul in June when it became safe to do so gradually. Um, and we now have a Shabbos morning. We have four Shabbos morning minyanim, but still our, our total attendance on a Shabbos right now is between a third and a quarter of what it was uh, this time last year. Yeah, and going back just for when you moved over to the United States, what do you think that American jury needs to learn to do better. I'm sure in your rabbinate, you've been trying to get things to be better. You had a, you have the advantage of a former outsider who's very much an insider today. What do we have to do better? Well, that's a uh, that's a great uh, that's a great question. You know, I um, let me answer that question not from the perspective so much of a rabbi from uh, London who who uh, who moved to uh, to New York, but somebody who grew up in a small community. And what New York, what American Jews forget, particularly modern Orthodox Jews, I think is to forget, is that we're not big enough. We can't afford to, to lose each other. That our institutions, and Rabbi Matanke, you're not a school administrator, sure, a, 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 a fundraiser, a, uh, Rabbi Matanke and I were once on a trip to Israel, and uh, he flew back in the trip because it was uh, a graduation for his uh, for the school. I flew back. We, we both changed planes at the last minute. It was my daughter's graduation, uh, and I know how much you 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 um, you live and breathe Ida Crown as well as the uh, as the, as well as the synagogue. And and um, and I would say as follows: for our amazing institutions, we know that the cushion that we have is almost non-existent. Uh, in terms of resources, in terms of fundraising, in terms of um, an ability to say that we have plenty of Jews to fill our institutions and to make them viable for years and generations to come without worry. That is not the case. So every decision that we make, whether we choose on any matter to go to the left, to the right, uh, to, to take a stand, to not take it, has to have at the, at the root of it 
how will this affect the population of our communities for in the in the coming years in our times of hyper polarization where people and thank god and I, I really hope and predict that uh, you know the social distancing might turn out to have been a brocha in 2020 because we're able to have got past at least there were no fistfights in shuls over the elections which cannot be otherwise have been guaranteed would have been the case um and i'm not even you know i'm not even joking um we need, sorry, my phone is ringing and that's going to create a, 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 a noise. Um, we simply don't have enough Jews to be able to um, uh, to be able to take moral stands or stands that basically says, well, if you think differently, then go away. We can't afford to cancel each other is what I'm saying. And we'll have to figure out ways of running communities in which both every individual feels genuinely welcomed and appreciated. And at the same time, where people are prepared in a way that they're not prepared in politics or many other spheres to say, I'm going to happily participate and contribute and invest and sacrifice, even though I really disagree with lots of people who go there. And we have to create that big tent or small community vibe, which is, look, I grew up in Glasgow, Scotland. I'll tell this story. I know you were about to, uh, no, no, I don't know what am I but I'll tell the story. I grew up, and it's a tragic story. I grew up in Glasgow, Scotland, a community that's declined a lot for demographic reasons. The neighboring community of Edinburgh, where my late father was from, uh, was always a much smaller community. Um, a number of years ago, and I have no idea, and I'm not commenting on the politics or anything, for some reason, this tiny Orthodox community, there's very few observant Jews, but there's an Orthodox shul, splits. You can go on Friday night, I mean, pre-pandemic times, you could choose to daven without a minion in two separate synagogues in Edinburgh, as opposed to having a shul or a working agreement where there would be a minion. And that is just a morality tale of what can so easily go wrong? It's not that our shul, my shul won't get a minion and your shul won't get a minion. But it's entirely possible that if we continue on this road, we will indeed find our communities without the quote unquote minion of adequate resources to, uh, to, to make long-term viability. And it's something which does concern me. You're preaching to the choir. You know, I, I, last night I gave a, I gave a sheer, um, we were talking about women's Megillah reading. Right. Are women reading Megillah for women or for men? And one of the issues that comes up is the question of Pirsume Nisa and the obligations of public of publicizing the miracle and Barov Hadrat Melech and doing it in the largest place. Behind me is a picture of my sanctuary. We seat 600. And yet we nowadays find ourselves in a community where everyone has these little boutique minyanim. And especially right. even, even in time they break off into homes because they don't want to be so long you know god forbid should Megillah reading take right 30 minutes instead of 25 minutes or 35 minutes instead of 25 and it's the natural movement within our community to create all of these small pieces and not that we're going to run out of a minion but we definitely lose the strength of 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 large of, of that largeness that used to exist, the, the majesty that used to exist. Correct, correct, correct. I don't know how to turn that around. I know now that in my neighborhood, we have about 40 Orthodox shuls, and there is definitely enough of a population for at least 10 of them. Right, right, right. But we now have 40 presidents and 40 <laughs> rabbis, 
and unfortunately 40 boards and everything else that goes along with it. Right. So I'm, how do you change it? How, how do you make that change? Look, you know, and, and the issue is that people, you know, this is America, this is a place of free choice. And we're in a generation of people who are very, uh, you know, um, uh, have very particular, very individualistic kind of demands. And the points that I'm trying to make really are, as uh, although what you, you say about shuls or something is, is very, very important is, uh, uh, you know, is, is um, at the same time, uh, you know, the, the point that I'm making to really to be clear is that when we, we run our communities in a way that um, a member that Jews will say, well, this is, this is what my fellow Jews believers stand for. I want no part of it. That is a tremendous, and that's really the, the point that I'm trying to make, that we're making, you know, that when whatever we do, whether it's a political sense to the left to the right or whatever it is, we have to factor in that, you know, no matter how, you know, righteous you might uh, feel or strongly might feel about a particular issue, factor that we often fail to account is, is, is the fact that there are going to be people this day and age who are going to be so appalled by you know somebody else's opinion that they're going to walk away from the community and by the way i i mean from phenomena of our college age children others going off the derrick etc is not new at all but in this current day and age it is uh inflamed by a lot of the politics and rhetoric within the community there's no question about it when I was a young Balch, and now this is an extreme example because I don't think you would get this in modern communities anymore. But when I was a young Balchuva college student and a very liberal uh, left-wing views, I went for a Shabbos table for a member of the Orthodox community, actually the Kolel, there was a Kolel in Scotland in those times. And I heard this child, a small child, spot the most racist kind of talk. And I nearly got up from the Shabbos table and walked out and I probably would never have gone back to a Shabbos table. So we have to, now that's, uh, you know, that story happened decades ago and it's talking about myself and uh, Baal Tshuva, the very beginning kind of steps. But the fact is uh, both to the left and to the right, there are people who get turned off by the rhetoric and the, and the heat and the anger that has taken hold of so much in orthodoxy in the in the in the in, in the last years. Regarding your question, which is about shuls and big tent shuls, etc. Look, this is something which I feel, of course, as a rabbi, before the pandemic, this is one of the things that we spent all the time thinking about. We have many Stiebel, even in the Upper West Side, by the way, there are many, many Stieblach, and there's a beautiful, warm Hamish kind of community. And I would make the point that you can go and find, especially if you're a man, if you're a woman, it's not such a great experience. If you're a man, you can go and find a community where they will literally serve. You don't have to get up from your seat. They'll give you a table, a sitter, a chumash. And by the time davening is over, within an hour and 45 minutes, they'll have brought your kugel and shalom to you at your table. Like, what? It's like being in first class. Like, what's, not to, what's not to love? Like, why wouldn't you go there? And not only that, but halfway through, you can go into the kitchen for a shot of whiskey. What's not to like? What's not to like is the fact is that your shul, if that's what you choose, and I make no comment at all about the wonderful communities and Rabbonim of Chicago. I'm making an observation about my neighborhood. I'm very happy to ding out with my colleagues uh, in, in this neighborhood. If you're a member of that particular type of institution, your shul is not investing in the next generation. There are no youth groups. There are, it is not part of any kind of uh, effort in the wider community to support beyond the most narrow section of the community. 
to support Federation, Israel, day schools that cater for people beyond our bubble. There is very little chesed that happens, is informal at best, if at all. There's very often no rabbi, no reliable rabbi to ask your shilas to. There's no shiurim. And it's not a question of whether or not my spiritual needs will be met in a community. It's a question of whether or not, if, they, if we all david in shibals, what would, the, what would orthodoxy, what would Judaism look like in America? Who would run the beginners programs? Who would run the outreach efforts? Who would run the appeals for day school? Where would all of that happen? And the answer is it wouldn't happen. And that's why, you know, that's why you have organizations and from communities like Misaskim who have to provide shiva chair. A member of a shul, somebody passes away and the, mem and the members of a sit and from people have to worry about where they're going to get shiva chairs from and they have to be calling around to see who's got shiva. Babusha. My shul, God forbid, if somebody needs anything, our community, and we're not perfect by any means, with has a long way to rebuild, to, to build where I'd like it to be. Beaker Cholim, Shabbos invitations, hospitality committees, etc. Those happen in big shuls and they don't happen in small shuls. So as you can the see, other, I feel very passionate about it. Yeah, the other piece, I see your passion. The other piece that you're missing on that picture also is when something needs to happen. And somebody needs something out of the ordinary, they'll come right. back to the large shul. So, not just hosting a simcha, but chas v'sholom. Somebody needs uh, a favor from a hospital, or needs somebody who has a connection here to make something happen. That's where the big shul will come in as well. Correct. So when you need to mobilize the community, and there will be times ahead in this current administration when we need, you know, when we need to. Uh, when we need to get APAC back up and uh, running at a mass level, when we need to make our voices heard about whatever the new administration might have with the Iran plan, whatever, the sh you know, it is not the Stiebel world that is going to put its finger, you know, they're individually happy to be involved. But as far as mobilizing Klal Israel, that you can only do with large synagogues that represent Rav Am of the people and, and uh, collective institutions are exceptionally important. Well, I'm ready to join already. Based on this pitch, you got me. Um, <laughs> just our time is almost up, but just one last question, if it's, uh, and that is, if you were looking on the other side of this pandemic, and I know we don't know um, what the outcome is going to be, what are the lessons that we learned from this? What can we take with us? Uh, one example I'll give is what we're doing today. Uh, we would have never thought to go on Facebook Live, to go on Zoom and to do this. And all of a sudden, Shirim are open. I have a Shir where I have a person who made Aliyah during the pandemic, right. and they still come to Shir. What other things do you think we're going to be able to bring with us? Latov. I think one of the things, and something which I've been telling my community about, and I know how short our time is, as well as I agree with you 100%, that there is no excuse anymore. Those are the days when if it was a rainy, you know, a rainy or a snowy Tuesday, the rabbi's class was canceled, or if only three people made it, yeshikarach, everybody else fell behind in shear or missed out the shear that week. Those days are gone, and thank God, thank God, those days are gone. Although Zoom doesn't work for everybody, when the uh, when uh, Pfizer announced the vaccine results, and I saw their stock price go up, and Zoom followed <laughs> 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 the whole that day, I was <laughs> I was happy on both accounts. Um, so I personally look forward to not an entirely post-Zoom world, but a much more in-person world. Look, I think one of the things that we've learned 
is that everything, there's something which I've been thinking about a lot. I actually gave a, shear, a series of shearing before Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur called Spiritual Antibodies. We were infected with an awful lot of sicknesses past year. And it actually, like antibodies, it made us stronger. We learned things we always knew intellectually true. Remember in the depths of the, of the pandemic, which here in New York was last March, last April, last May. But, you know, when you saw a fellow human being and you were able to smile at them, do a favor for them, pick up the phone to them, how much it made not just their day and your day. Everything Chazal told us about chesed being transformative, about the power of a human being to, you know, redeem themselves and redeem other people through mitzvot and, 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 and being less self-centered and more available and open to other people, all of that is incredibly, extraordinarily true. And I hope that we will always value not just other people, but ourselves. I can say, and it sounds arrogant, but every single Jew can say this. I know that I've impacted on people's lives. And I know members of my shul have impacted on people's lives in an extraordinary way, not because the acts that they did were so extraordinary, but because they were so welcome. And when we realize that we always, even post-pandemic, that no human being should ever question their worth or their value, because you can always do an act for a fellow Jew, a fellow human being, that will completely lift them out of isolation, out of, out of, out of their, their woes, their cares of the moment. We've all learned how much, how much we, we mean and how much we, uh, and, and, and therefore should value ourselves. And in a world which is increasingly possessed by lack of self-esteem and, and self-doubt and lack of self-worth, I think every human being, regardless of their resources, could learn that the very fact that I'm here and I can smile at somebody else shows that I'm a person of extraordinary worth. And, and that I hope will never leave us. And on that, Rabbi Robinson, this has been a wonderful half hour. Thank I you. I will pick up. We'll pick up at the next time we see each other because it's always a pleasure to schmooze with you and learn from you. And I thank you so very much. And uh, keep on smiling at us. We need it. <laughs> thank you for your time very, very much. God bless all the community in Chicago. You're blessed with a wonderful, wonderful Rav. And um, we should all meet each other and see each other on many, many simchas in the very near future. Amen. Thank, thank you so very much. Bye-bye.